<laughs> I am in Harlem right now. <laughs> in front of our heroes. <laughs> okay? You are not going to tell me that I wake up in this, the blackest of lands, established. <laughs> established by our heroes. And say that I wake up a nigga. <laughs> not today. Not today. Hey, bro, let's beat us. You know I keep the chrome under season in the home without speaking. You give me your chain. I'm Da Vinci. Don't make me draw your pain. They call me Scope, Short, Ferrasco, Pico, Chain. I'd rather be this. Yeah, uh, it goes All right, high. we are Waste. back after taste. a long hiatus for another episode of Flaming Hot Takes. I am your host, CB. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan. What's good, Jay? What's going on, baby? Long time no see. I know, right? I mean, it wasn't like there was anything to talk about over all these months that we took off. Uh, <laughs> but but here we are in October, and for our comeback episode, we've got two two special guests. One that you guys are familiar with. It's our homegirl, Shamira. What's up, Shamira? Hey, everyone. How's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. And we have a special, special, special guest, a young lady that you may have seen. Wait, why'd she get in... four specials, though? Nah, <laughs> Shamira's like, niggas, where's my specials? You've been on before, Shamira. <laughs> you ain't special no more. Because. You ain't special no more. But the special, 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 special guest, uh, you may know her from the Black Nerd Problems spoof video that we did of the BuzzFeed video of questions that black people have for other black people. You also may know her from Black Nerd Problems. It's our homegirl, Brittany. What's up, Britt? Hey, hey. What's up, y'all? We are so happy to have you here. Unlike Shamira, yes, we just found yes. her just somewhere nearby. She just happened to be in the neighborhood. We told her we were filming the episode, so she was like, can I get on? And then we just felt too awkward to say no. All I do is bring love and light and chick into the premises, and this is how I'm treated. You see this? It's not even acceptable. So the patriarchy strikes again. Right? Hey. Hey, we got we got to uphold the patriarchy. We got to take things back in 2016. Drive the drive the gas out of her car. Use her hair care products. Come on now, take it back, fellas. But today we are talking about basically all of the blackness that is on TV this fall. And um, we've had some shows recently that have done really well. Some some black ass shows like Blackish and Empire and whatnot. But it seems like this fall we have got a whole slate. Of, of just black TV shows and a lot of different kinds of TV shows. So we will start things off. You mean racist TV shows? Yes, yes. We'll, <laughs> we'll start things off actually with the most racist of TV shows, according to some. And that is Luke Cage, the, mo- the much anticipated Luke Cage after season one of Jessica Jones. Everybody was amped to find out that finally Marvel was going to give a television series that is centered on one of its black characters, which is a perfect primer for 2017, which is when black people will descend upon theaters worldwide and watch Black Panther. And I would thoroughly suggest that if you don't like black people, you should stay away from, stay away from any local theater showing that when it drops. But uh, yeah, Luke Cage... Luke Cage is uh, on the scene. It's a part of the Marvel television universe, which is like kind of sort of tied to the cinematic universe. But yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people talking about Luke Cage. I know me, Shamira, and Brittany are all the way through it. I have to preface all my hot takes on Luke Cage by saying I am six episodes into this series, even though it's been out for what, a week now, two weeks? 
Two weeks. Too it came long. out. It's, been out. it's been out two weeks long right enough. now. So all of my all my hot takes have to come with an asterisk that I have not finished the series. So we're gonna have to mitigate spoilers, or at least I'm gonna have to put on you know my headset just to try to block those out. But but that being said, yo, I mean, I I might I might be getting in trouble for saying this, but uh, it's 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 not really worth me rushing through at this point from where I'm at right now yeah. on episode six. Like I'm not. I'm I'm in no rush, and it's not the type of you just just tell him by that high pitched voice. Like it seems like, like let's keep it a hundred. Like it seems like Luke Cage is that Luke. Ca- See, I'm 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 getting trouble for saying it, but Luke Cage is basically like the of Netflix, where we can't really talk honestly about it. Like we can't like like we want to say some shit, but we can't really say some shit publicly. So we all just gonna be like, yeah, we support it. Even like, really, is oh, it maybe again, wow. again, again, this is six episodes in, maybe it gets significantly better. I hear episode seven is a turning point when they introduce Diamondback. But for now, it's Luke Cage in some weird respectability poli- politics and some okay, weird I got, I got, rendition of Harlem and fighting street level gang members. Jessica Jones goes against someone who can manipulate people's will. Uh, Daredevil <laughs> is going against Wilson Fisk, and we get, you know, we get Remy from House of Cards, <laughs> like, who does, who's actually doing a great job. Like, I'm enjoying Remy as a villain, but I'm talking about his level as a villain is like, this whole thing up to the point where I'm at is dude, like, a, a gun deal gone wrong, and that's it, yo. That's it. Well, and all I get, but, all I get is, see, is a bunch of people arguing him, about uh, using the word nigga, and then a bunch of other people, like, like <laughs> having arguments over black heroes in Harlem and Harlem somehow turned into like 70 years ago, Harlem. I like the whole thing is, is a little confusing to me at certain points. Yeah. If I get one more, if I get one more scene where Luke or Mike Coulter dead ass is like, I don't like being called a nigga. In front of my heroes. <laughs> like I'm a, I, 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 like that shit is written with a sledgehammer. That shit is written with a sledgehammer. There are so many of those four scenes where it's like, I'm the type of brother that doesn't like to be called a nigga. How dare you say that in front of I Malcolm mean, X I mean, Boulevard, in front of Marcus Garvey. No, we are at Jackie Christmas Robinson Day. Park. Like, man, if y'all shut the fuck up. We in front of Rosa Parks' bench. Exactly, exactly. Like, every scene <laughs> where they say the N-word, it has to be in front of a famous Harlem, like, renaissance or black leader so that he can give a brief history of that leader in front of the person who's pointing the gun at him who like inexplicably doesn't realize that he's bulletproof after being shot over and over again like it seems like it seems like the whole thing yo it seems like the whole thing is written this is what somebody told me and i completely agree with her she was like it seems like this whole thing is written as a first draft and it never really got edited from there like that's what so many scenes feel like for me like somebody, like okay. it should have been written, no. and then somebody would have been like, "Ooh, this is too on the nose," or "Ooh, that's a little too much." Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So I think Luke Cage is big as offense that it's corny. Like everything about it is corny. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Like I can be really nitpicky and point out that the kind of personification of Harlem is really odd, 
it's this like weird Harlem Renaissance meets New Jack City combination, which I don't know when we're, how you can simultaneously glamorize like the time when like everyone looked out for each other in Harlem, but also was on crack and willing to like, kill each other. What the fuck, yo? What the fuck? And what the fuck is going on with, yo, I'm like, it gets me mad as I'm thinking about it. What is the deal with, with all this dialogue about people not having fathers? Am, am I the only one who no, caught that no, shit every no, five no. minutes where they're just like, no, like you know, every, everybody's got a gun, everybody's got a gun, but nobody has a father. And of course, and niggas like, can't play basketball. Niggas, niggas can't play baseball play. because baseball is a sport passed down to fathers, and you know we ain't got them in Harlem. Like, <laughs> there's been like one per episode where they're like, That's nobody true. got a father. And there's like other okay. weird stuff. Like, the only people allowed to say nigga and be proud of it are criminals. <laughs> <laughs> like Remy Dancer yes. slash whatever the fuck his character's <laughs> name is. I have it caught in my There you go. Like, yeah. it's like, nigga. Like, here we go. Followed by a villainous laugh, so you know he's evil. Right. <laughs> and she like, stands in front of the biggie coaster. Like, I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah, the respectability stuff is sort of out of control, well, I, at least I, so I, far. I and I've been it. waiting for it to, like, to fix itself because it seems like there's certain parts where it tried the show tries to be self-aware at least i guess maybe in regard to the superhero stuff itself like when uh when he originally dressed up as you know the black exploitation luke cage and he looks at himself <laughs> in the reflection and he's like i look ridiculous like that type of thing so i thought yeah. i gave them a little bit probably a little bit too much credit in that some of the respectability stuff would end up being flipped on his head and i guess my optimistic self is still holding on to hope that it something happens in the second half of the season to make it more redeemable for me. But for now, I'm just off put by every every time they try to bring up race in a weird way, every time they try to bring up parenthood, fatherhood in a weird way, every time they try to fight for this spirit of Harlem that somehow like that they romanticize or creative like this shit, I guess it stays consistent with the rest of the Netflix, like Marvel universe. Cause like this, this depiction of Harlem is as much Harlem now as daredevil's depiction of hell's kitchen is of hell's kitchen right now, which is to say that it's not accurate at all. Right. Like criminals and daredevil be like, like I would give a limb if I could just get out of hell's kitchen. Cause they make it seem like hell's kitchen is the size of Manhattan when it's really like four blocks. Like, yeah. also, Hell's Kitchen is only like gay people going to. Brooklyn oh yeah, now. yeah no, so my boy, my boy came to visit the the week that Daredevil season two came out. My boy came to visit from Atlanta, and he wanted to see what Hell's Kitchen looked like, and he was like, "This is trendy restaurants and pleasant gay people. Like, this isn't like this doesn't need protecting. Like, who the like? Where are the vacant buildings? Where are the dilapidated buildings? Like, this is a trendy ass, expensive neighborhood." What the hell is Daredevil protecting? So that is as much as real life Hell's Kitchen as this depiction of Harlem is now. It seems mad weird to me, though. Well, right. here's my yeah. thing about the respectability politics. And here's what I, I came to, what I think uh, it is. I think that my culture is not a very good actor. So we are getting, so a lot of these line deliveries are coming across as, I, I feel like that's the reason why it seems Brittany, so bad. yes, yes. Brittany, can I ask you a question? Because I think, yeah. okay, it might even extend beyond my culture, I'm not sure. Like, there are certain parts where I can't tell if it is written poorly or if it's delivered poorly. And well, I can't tell, like. Who, who it is. There, yeah, like, there are certain lines that are delivered from my culture, especially, where I'm like, 
Maybe if it were a better, better actor, that scene would be entirely different. But then, like, reading the dialogue even on paper, I'm like, this is this is not John Blaze. This is not that. This is just, like... I think... I, but I can't I, tell. Because an, an actor or an actress can really change a lot of the tenor of those lines based on their ability. I imagine, yeah. like... I think Simone Missick is killing it. I think she's yeah, doing no, a great no, job as Misty Knight. And I feel like yeah. I feel like she's a good example of, like, having the same writers doing the same sort of crummy, weird lines... But having them delivered in a certain way can make them redeemable. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mike Coulter just doesn't seem seem to have the charisma to do it. Like his range is narrow to me. Yep. I think, and you'll you'll see more of this as the show progresses. I think they wanted Luke to be corny. It's like, not. That's it's above of, and beyond corny, though. I know. I, 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 I know. No, 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 start no. To no I know. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying that Mike Coulter is giving Courtney B. Vance as Johnny Cochran level performance in this series. Not at all. The best description I heard of heard about you know Mike Coulter's portrayal of Luke Cage was on Twitter. Someone said Luke Cage is like an administrator at a conservative HBCU in Virginia. (laughs) That like he is giving administrator vibes just you know i want to make sure i take care of the kids because you know i came i came from a rough background and i'm not going to go much into how rough my background is but don't let don't let me uh being real well read fool you you know i i I know some things i've seen some things i've done some things in my life like you don't But you don't, though. I'm like, you corny, you can't back that shit up because you're just getting bodied by these regular-ass dudes. <laughs> like, Luke Cage spends right, the whole so, series I mean, getting bodied by regular-ass folk with no superpowers. Right. I mean, like, I you're think... saying you want to see a bigger villain, but he, I, he can't take on one. But, but I, I, I mean, that's just a sad detraction of the show is that at least right now, again, I haven't gotten the diamond back yet, so I hear his portrayal is a whole lot better, and hopefully things get more interesting. But... To see a hero, especially in this whole Netflix Marvel mythos that have had certain level of villains, to see it be street level stuff for this long, I'm like, dog, like, give me, give me, give me something more than a swear jar and Luke Cage just walking and taking bullets. Like, right. I mean, I, mean, I think I kind of came to the conclusion at some point in the series that, and I don't know much about the creator of the show because I didn't do that many Googles because who needs Google for opinions? Um, <laughs> no one. The creation of the show um, is really more around like this concept of like a middle-aged black man who may or may not be from New York City, but it's like nostalgic about this like East Coast hip hop era, and like is glamorizing weird things through like their fandom of the character. Like it just very much feels a lot like barbershop talk of people who are like one to two decades older than me talking about a good old time. That I'm like. Oh! wasn't dead at that time i was a child it wasn't that fucking great like you know what i mean so all of it is like Mm -hmm. done through the portrayal of like this like guidance counselor perspective who like also seems to have a lot of time to work out like and it's just (laughs) it's all these really weird history lessons like who stands and talks about christmas fucking addicts for like And it's like this deep weird cut, picture, like, deep cut. You not gonna call me nigga in front of Christmas. In front of Christmas, do you know what he's done? Our heroes, our heroes, yeah, and then goes on this long drive. He seems appropriate because he's famous for getting shot. 
So yes, I th- and I think that was on purpose. And I that I mean, they're all on purpose, yeah, right. but it's still yeah, right. too much and on the nose. It's so it's heavy-handed. So, like, yeah. it's, it's so it heavy-handed. It's so. I mean, but has Marvel or Disney ever been known for their subtlety? I mean, I don't think I didn't feel like Jessica Jones or Daredevil. I didn't think Jessica Jones was as heavy-handed in its messages about mental health and. I mean, just basically like patriarchy and the general control that men want to have over women and women's bodies. I didn't feel like that message was nearly as heavy handed as all of the messages of black respectability in Luke Cage. Um, that, I mean, what, what's interesting to me, uh, based on your guys' reactions to it, especially Jordan being so early in, was what I saw happening on social media amongst communities of black people that consume comic book media that, you know, are quote unquote woke and whatnot. You know, people were talking about, um, there were accusations that Luke Cage was preaching a lot of respectability politics. And like a lot of the people on the, like the black girl nerds feed were like, where's respectability politics and Luke Cage? I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't get it. Luke Cage is an amazing show and it's unapologetically black and like all of this. And it's like, well, if you take a step back from your initial desire to want to like the show and just take the show at face value, I mean, the sheer fact that only villains say nigga is like, that's like really obvious. The whole, like, I understand wanting to center the conversations around blackness, but you point me to a barbershop that's talking about like deep cut black literature and mm-hmm. I like, I'll give you all thirteen dollars in my checking account right now like that like that doesn't <laughs> exist like i still like african-american studies was my was my minor in in college and i went to dinners with like um you know dick gregory and like all these different people no one talks like that nobody talks like that especially not in a barbershop the closest thing to actual barbershop conversation that they had was kind of sort of the basketball conversation that they had but like mm-hmm. I mean, the idea that Pops has a swear jar, like... Ham-fisted that into Young Buck out of his place who's, like, with a gun and going to commit right. this crime and standing up against the old-school dude who had to put him back in his place. Like, all of it seemed such a contrived version of blackness, and it feels like something yeah. that, as a whole, at least as a black community, we have to support this show. Can we I, have to support I, it, so we're not really going to say this shit out loud. We have to say, we have to take, like, we support it. This show is awesome. It's a depiction of blackness. It is a full cast of black characters. Let's not, you know, let's not make perfection the enemy of good. But really, if we're going to have give it fair criticism, like, yes, it's poorly acted. And yes, there's a weird amount of respectability politics. And no, it's not to the level, at least where I'm at right now, not to the level of where Daredevil and Jessica Jones were, which is unfortunate because me, just like everyone else who was gunning for this series to be the greatest thing ever, wanted its absolute success and dominance. I do think, though, that one criticism of Luke Cage that I have is a criticism that I have of all of the Marvel shows, both seasons of Daredevil, the season of Jessica Jones, and I think it's that 13 episodes is too long. They need to cut that shit down to 10. And, like, once you get into it, there's always there's always those, like, couple of episodes in the middle as you, on, like, like in, like, the back, like, 30% where you're like, ugh, like, this is kind of dragging. 
there's some mm-hmm. stuff where you like skipping steps. It's like, it, like I think I talked to you about this, Jay, with Daredevil. It's like, you know, you got a paper and it's supposed to be 15 pages and you got 12. Yep. And you ain't and getting you gotta, no more. Yep. You got to so make the periods just, a little go, longer. Fine. Exactly. You got to switch that joint to Courier New. You got to play with the margins. You got to stretch it out a little bit and water it down. Exactly. I feel like Luke Cage suffers from that just like every other show. But that that causes uh, yeah. some of the other issues that the show has to feel worse like it exacerbates them so like i understand black exploitation films i've watched many a black exploitation film like i get the genre i understand that certain elements of superhero movie superhero movies and tv shows and media are reliant on camp because that's part of what fans come for like those those elements from the old that they've come to love but, yo, it just got really heavy-handed, and they tried to move in and out of camp and in and out of black exploitation. It's like, look, you got to yeah. pick a side, man. Like, you watch black exploitation movies, and those movies were bad on purpose. Like, mm-hmm. there, there were elements that, like, Superfly, as a script, that movie is, what, like, two hours long, but the script was only, like, 40-some-odd pages? Like, it, it there's just not nearly enough and that movie holds up over time because curtis mayfield did the soundtrack like there's a whole lot of just long stretches and like mediocre dialogue and it became like a part of the genre but it's also because there were limited resources and they just did what they had to and with all of the money that marvel is pouring into this like i just felt like using the black exploitation angle regardless of the historical context of the luke cage uh comic books was just it was a poor choice. Like, it just made, it just, it makes certain characters suck. But also, so, a big thing about the black exploitation films was that, like, the characters actually kicked ass. And, like, we have, like, a good four-episode <laughs> stretch where Luke Cage is, like, reluctant to do shit. And it's, like, really annoying because yeah. he's like, I'm not going to raise my hands. Not no more. Like, <laughs> nigga, stop sleeping on the floor. Like, no one gives a fuck. Like, are you serious? And then when he did do shit, I feel like it's like ten out of twelve, bad. ten out of thirteen episodes. Like, and then when he did do shit, the fight scenes were just generally not interesting or good. Yes, it yes. Was actually big, I think honestly, if the fight scenes were better, it would have made it would have given a lot more passes. But the fight scenes right, weren't right. good. Like, it was just this weird shit. Like, let's just have an RPG in the middle of one twenty fifth street. Like, <laughs> it, it was I love that. Be like, yo, I got you, random ass Chinese diner in the corner. Like, <laughs> all right, fine, whatever. But a couple of things. No, those are his landlords. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we can talk about how he has a but one ain't nobody else apartment. in that building, Dad. That nigga had a one bedroom apartment in Harlem off of Sweetie <laughs> on a barber shop. And Luke Cage getting, getting paid in straight cash <laughs> and has a one bedroom apartment. Yo, how do you do that income verification? Yo, I had a couple other thoughts though. One thing was that it really hurt my feelings as a Knicks fan that they had to start the series talking about how the Knicks suck. I didn't need that reminder. I've already mentally blocked out this season for a lot of reasons, and that just really did not need to happen. That's the first thing. The second thing 
is that I wanted to join on your point, Chris, about the barbershop conversation because barbershop niggas don't read. And the reason why we know they don't nope. read is because if they did read, we wouldn't have the same basketball arguments over and over again at every single barbershop because all you have to do is do Google and debug half of those conversations. <laughs> Yet they never happen. So all barbershop niggas do is look at porn on the internet. Like, that's it. Like, there are way too many bar- black barbershops that play first take for me to believe that they were out here reading like Ralph Ellison <laughs> and shit like that. So, I mean, Get the fuck oh, out of here. Man. Shamira, to your point about the fight scene. So there's there's two things, at least I'm trying to think and compare it to Jessica Jones and Daredevil since they're obviously the closest analogs and they're in the same universe. Most of... of all, <laughs> Jessica Jones didn't have any crazy action scenes, by and large. Uh-huh. Jessica Jones as a character and her comic was never dependent on the action scenes. It's always been sort of heavy, intriguing, interesting dialogue and seeing her inner struggle that was done in a compelling way. Daredevil, on the other hand, Daredevil had crazy action scenes that were good. It also had really good dialogue, like isolated dialogue scenes. So you can think about like Daredevil and Punisher talking on the roof and that as an isolated Mm -hmm. conversation. Or Frank Castle and Wilson Fisk having his conversation. Or Wilson Fisk just talking about himself by himself, like just talking to the camera for however long he can and that being a really great compelling scene are there any scenes like we already know the the the, the fight choreography is whack like the fight choreography is basically like watching rocky balboa except with punches they're bullets like it's just him <laughs> like rocky just yeah. taking punches I mean, left I mean, and right I, I do have something to say about the fight choreography but tell me oh, okay well let's hop to that in one second i wanted to ask sort of poll the mm-hmm. audience here in terms of dialogue Again, I'm halfway through the series right now. Are are there any, or maybe have there been any, I don't think there have been any so far in my opinion, but are there any sort of standalone scenes that you're like, that was executed the way that it was meant to in terms of it being a powerful dialogue? Because I can think of, the only example I can think of so far is a very poor one, and that is when... Cottonmouth and Luke Cage are at a funeral trying to have like a presidential campaign for the spirit of Harlem. <laughs> and that shit just <laughs> that shit was the corniest shit I think I've ever seen in my life. So that just frustrated the hell out of me. But I understood I understood the yes. per- like it was meant it was meant to be one of those scenes that like a Vincent D'Onofrio would carry or that like you know, it's supposed to be a captivating dialogue with just silence and emotion and something that makes you think and to be conflicted internally, but it didn't do that at all. Uh, Are there any that come up later on where that type of thing is executed well or not? Not with Luke Cage. Not with Luke Cage. Well, I think there are a few scenes that Alfred Woodard carries. I think Alfred Woodard is able to do a lot with a little, and that's kind of a credit to her acting pedigree. Um, I also think there was one scene later in the season that wasn't necessarily momentous, but to me was kind of dope, and this is definitely me buying into like the symbolism more so than the actual dialogue, where there was a scene where there were four black women just like talking in Mm -hmm. one room, and that was fucking dope because it was... It felt organic. It didn't feel overwrought. And there's not many scenes in television on like a, yeah. on a show with a mainstream audience where you can just have four unique, distinct black characters who are women who bring something to the table. So that was cool. Yeah. But um, there, there's no like one transcendent mm-hmm. scene that I took away from the show that didn't make me unintentionally laugh. So well, I had well, I really liked the um, when Misty was in with the the 
psychiatrist mm -hmm. or psychologist. Yes, mm. when she was speaking to oh, him yeah, about yeah, like yeah. when she had jacked up um, Claire mm -hmm. uh, in the interrogation room. And oh, you give you give spoilers now. Oh, based on where where Jay's at. Oh, sorry. Oh, put sorry. my head. <laughs> You introducing characters that aren't aren't in the in the storyline yet. If you don't know Claire anything, you just been I did see Claire. Claire <laughs> came in. Claire came in like two episodes ago from where I'm at. She's in the promotional stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Claire came yeah, in, I think, yeah. in episode four. So I'm, yes, I'm good on so Claire. That, and then also, I really enjoy the um, the the scenes between Misty and oh my god, was she the the lieutenant? The Priscilla? lieutenant. Priscilla. Yes, yes Miss yeah, Priscilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like those. Yeah. Is that, uh, was that Kima? No, 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 no. I just saw Kima no, and got Kima. excited. Also, I also love the fact that they had like half of the wire in the show for no reason. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think I, I agree with Shamira. I think that Alfred Woodard had some, had some scenes later on where she really, she really puts the whole team on her back and is like, look, there are people in this that can act and I'm going to act mm -hmm. on behalf of everyone. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I thought that the flashback scenes for Cottonmouth and Mariah, I thought that those, that was done extremely well. Like yeah, that was mm -hmm. the sort of thing where I wish that, I think that Luke Cage did better than Daredevil when and Jessica Jones, for that matter, when they, whenever they showed flashbacks, I thought yeah, I that, that. Um, those particular flashbacks were exactly. done better than all of the flashbacks in the other in the others. But uh, Jay, to your point on the fight choreography, and I know Brittany had a point about the fight choreography. I mean, I think that Luke Cage suffers from a budget and b just the method of fighting. Like it's not, it's, there's no, there's no martial arts. Like Daredevil, yeah. Daredevil but that could have been like. Was very martial arts heavy, like just in terms in terms of the in terms of the the form. If you've ever watched shitty heavyweight boxing, it sucks. Yeah, yeah. heavyweight boxing he is like only interesting when you have like. Hit. Say that again. He he fights like a big dude who's not used to getting hurt. So there's no yeah. reason for him to have a defense, and then he just like swings and hits stuff. He has no reason to have training. So that's yeah, why the just, fights look so un. Yeah, yeah, it's just big and bruising and boring. And like he can he can take all the hits. All of the all of the like bad guys are dummies, so they just dump their clips because they don't so know. Yes, else but to that's do. the problem is like if you're gonna give your hero a certain ability, then you have to give him a villain that rivals that ability. Or you could have like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like that's that is that's an inherent problem in the show, is that I mean and you I feel like just never mind. Lord. I was going to say that that was also an inherent problem with the Superman versus Batman movie. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think there are probably a lot more inherent problems in that. Problems. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, one yeah. last point I wanted to make, um, you know, I, uh, I know we're trying to wrap up and move on to the video and other shows, but um, I think one comment I always have is unapologetic blackness thing and how people are kind of fighting against the black conservatism thing. Um, one, I generally think that unapologetic blackness is like a really stupid term, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but also, tell us how you really know, feel, Shamira. I also don't know why blackness and conservatism can be wholly divergent. Like, if we're gonna be real honest and a hundred on this thing, there are 
way <laughs> too many blacks that fall on the conservative line of the spectrum for us to act like it's ridiculous to have a black person who falls on that line of the spectrum also represent blackness, even if it's shit that I don't agree with and think it's really corny and painful. I think it can be black as fuck and still be respectable as fuck because that's that's how middle-aged black niggas are. They are respectable as fuck yeah. and I can still find yeah. it trash, but like... You know, I don't know why people are fighting so hard against that reality. It's like, yeah, sure, it's black as fuck, whatever. They played a censored Wu-Tang song. But, like, <laughs> like, at the same time, like, listen, like, Luke Cage definitely like, wonders why these kids wear these pants so tight today. So, like, it is yeah. what it is. <laughs> it's like you playing censored Wu-Tang songs, but you can still blow somebody's brains out across the concrete. So. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yo, I, I will say, um, like, the the entire thing about constantly bringing up fatherlessness in Luke Cage, the moment that pissed me off was when, spoiler alert, in Pop's funeral, when we, like, we, we arrive at Pop's funeral, oh, yeah. and it's Pop's son talking about he wasn't shit. Like, bruh. I was confused on that. Okay, wait. Huh? Was that was that meant so, to be Pop Son? Because I convinced myself yeah, that no, that was, was like a nephew or something. It was Pop Son. It was. Pop I convinced son. myself that it was another character because I was like, "There's no first, way that that's actually Pop's foremost, kid." That was a family friend who was using Pops as like an analog for his personal experience, and Pops was there for him, right? Like that's what I'm no. going to choose to believe. <laughs> like it's it like the fact you that can't, but you believe in wrong. They, the fact, the fact that they just breeze past that, like they, they just like, oh yeah, we're just gonna like have have pop son up in there talk about how he wasn't a, how it was ain't shit daddy. Like that, that was extremely frustrating. And again, George, to your point, like yo, why does like every like everybody's got father issues? Like everybody's got a shitty father. Everybody's got an absent father. Like, we, like we get it, we get it. Like fictive family is is big in the in in black families and brown families and all different sorts of families like we get it but damn like that wasn't that was a wholly unnecessary element to to the show and goes back to the whole thing about like there's a lot of conservatism there's a lot of respect respectability politics in luke cage that's scooted in under the guise of hey look we've got like some strong female figures some of which aren't particularly likable uh Mm -hmm. misty knight they're like hey we've got rap music but we got that real rap we don't have any of that new that new uh young thug gobbledygook type shit we got (laughs) (laughs) also for being real about it like Uh, if it's a Harlem-based show, they definitely should be playing Dipset, and Luke Cage definitely, exactly. Luke Cage would definitely hate everything about Cameron. So I just want to point that out. But whatever. <laughs> well, exactly. and also, it's like if y'all are gonna bring in Pop Son out of nowhere, why do you breeze past it like that? Like if you claim yeah. it's such this huge, if the, if it's this huge problem. And he's the father of everyone else in the neighborhood. And, like, if you listen to what the guy was saying, it's really heartbreaking. Because he was, like, he was a father to yeah. everybody else. But he wasn't shit to me. And I wish that I could, like, make up with him now so he could see his granddaughter. But it's too late. And I'm, like, I don't know. It, I was just, like, why is this even Why is this even here? Because then we breeze past that. And yeah. then you get the, the great debaters coming up to hijack the funeral. 
all of it. And full disclosure, I was ready to hate on it because Donald <laughs> Glover is really annoying to me. Yo, um, oh, yes. <laughs> so uh, I am pleasantly surprised. Still don't fuck with Donald Glover, but it's okay. I can still enjoy the work. <laughs> I, you know I, what? I'm, I'm actually with you on that. And I, I realized it when I had to write that article about him being young Lando Calrissian in the uh, uh, in the Han Solo prequel. And I was like, I don't uh, know how I, I don't, I can't, I'm not, yeah. I just, Donald Glover is just, he's one of those Negroes who went out of his way to differentiate himself from black people and black industries and then wondered why everyone else was like, giving him like a raised brow when he was like why don't other black people like me and i'm like maybe because you went out of your so i don't really differentiate yourself from shit so often like i mean it's fine like i don't care but like for me like there was enough <laughs> rapping around like i like to fuck half white half asian chicks where i was like you got it my nigga like <laughs> like you do what you want we good. you good I, I think a lot of people's issue with donald glover a lot of black people's issues with donald glover is that he always seemed like 30 seconds away from starting to complain about how all of the black people he grew up around talked about how he acted so white. Right. Like, oh my gosh. He o- like, he always yeah. seemed like he was like right on the cusp of complaining about some bullshit like that. Um, but with Atlanta, I, I love Atlanta. Was, like, I, yeah. I no, yeah. have not felt like a show was meant for me and my humor since the Chappelle show dropped. Like what I, what I appreciate about Atlanta and what he did with Atlanta is actually is dark. It is like, mm-hmm. I was, I was talking to somebody and I was talking about, you know, the first two episodes and the first two episodes, there were really only like maybe two moments that if you were retelling that to somebody else, that they would find it funny. Like, everything else is very much like, you need to, you got to watch it, and you just, you just have to, you, you have to have that twisted sense of humor. Like, you have to be wired such that you laugh to keep from crying Mm -hmm. to get all of the jokes in at least the first few episodes. As it's progressed, there are a lot more just, like, blatant, laugh out loud sort of gags. Um, I mean, I think that... I think it's maybe like episode three or episode four where Donald and uh, his baby mama van, when they go on a date and Donald wants to take her out, uh, that whole like that whole gag was done really, really, really well. And I thought that it shows a side of blackness, of being black and being middle class that you never see in any sort of media. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's like regular middle-class black people. And it doesn't matter, like, how well your parents did. If you're just, like, if you're not upper middle-class and, like, really well-off, and your parents are just, like, regular middle-class, even if you go, to, you go to high school, you do really well in high school, and you go to college, and maybe things don't work out, you are always this close away from just going all the way back and being homeless. And that's, that's earned character situation. Like, he is a college dropout. But he went to Princeton. Like, he's a really smart guy who colleges didn't work out for him. And unlike some people, 
most of Williamsburg uh, because he's black Ooh. and has, you know, just securely middle class black family that doesn't have extra funds to, you know, help him through this rough time and figure things out. He's back at home. He ain't got no money. And he's got a daughter. And it's not like, it's not a trope of like, I don't know, like, ra- like raggedy, ain't shit daddy, always out in the streets. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. he's not the best dad, but he's not a terrible dad. Like, he's just he's just a young dude trying to figure things out. And I think that it does a really good job at spotlighting that and spotlighting, like, how close he is to, like, poor, quote-unquote, inner-city black people. I think it does a good job of portraying authentic things without either sensationalizing it or villainizing it. For example, right. like, Ern's cousin is a drug dealer. A drug dealer slash rapper. But I actually think the rapping storyline is very nominal. Like, the way that the show is serialized, <laughs> it's not like we're invested as to whether or not, like, Paperboy's rapping career pops off. Although, right. I want to say that I really want to hear the full track version CDQ of Muckin, which is <laughs> Massage and Fucking. I think that's a great song. I got to check that out. But that was just my personal taste. Um, anyway, like, you know, Paperboy has like one track that's got local attention, right? Great. But like, also, he's a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Like, he deals drugs. Right. But like, it's not like it's super glamorized. Like, he just deals drugs. And he has an apartment because he can afford to have an apartment because he deals drugs, right? But like, he's not living mm-hmm. high on some retarded, like, kingpin shit, right? And he's not nope. check to check. Like, he's doing okay, which is how most mid level drug dealers who are just selling occasional weed would do like it's not making Mm. it some like sordid life story or is it making it some like insane fantasy right like think about it in comparison to like empire where like terrence howard's character created a whole label off of like moving weight somehow like he used that drug money and created a whole label which is like ridiculous like so Mm. you know yeah. Just showing those like basic practicalities in a way that's still entertaining. I don't want to spoil too much for you guys who haven't caught up, but like Paperboy being a drug dealer pays pays off in a really entertaining way for like the last episode, which is focused actually around Van. Um and uh, you know, just the realities of like, you know, most people in their mid to late twenties slash early thirties probably dabble in casual drugs at some point and that factors in, in a variety of ways, right? Um and just like everyday realities and so touches on things with a fair amount of respect to them, but still keeps it mm-hmm. comedic. Um, I don't think it's like as dark as like, I don't know if any of you guys watch the show Vice Principles, but Vice Principles gets dark sometimes. I don't think it goes. I don't know. I feel like it's darker. I feel like the tone is darker than, uh, than Vice Principles. Right. Like Vice Principles has some moments where it's absurd, mm-hmm. but like Atlanta's got some moments that are like, sad right. but also funny if you've got a fucked up sense of humor right right yeah but it's a yeah i mean i think the one thing that i find interesting and i think and hope that donald glover learned from the fiasco that is lena dunham and girls and black people is mm. i think i think there are a lot of people a lot of young creators that 
are asked via social media from people who don't see themselves often on TV to portray them. And like in like the example of Lena Dunham and girls, like there are a lot of people that were very upset about Lena Dunham's portrayal of New York in a particular Brooklyn. It's like super white and super upper middle class. And it's kind of like presented as being this honest depiction of girls. And for some people it is, but for other people it isn't. And the only thing that I think is defensible in Lena Dunham's that really like grounds the defense of Lena Dunham's portrayal of girls is that like, I like she is not equipped to tell the stories of young Brown people. Like that's, that's not her life. Like she didn't come up with that. She didn't grow up around those people. And I think that if we were forced to watch Mm -mm. a TV show where Lena Dunham tried to portray any sort of like blackness, brownness, whatever, it would be an absolute disaster. But with Atlanta, there were some people that were saying early on, like, they they want to see more representation of women. They want to see Van more, who, who's his, the mother of his daughter, and all this stuff. And we get that halfway through. Like, we get an entire episode that is about her and who she is. I mean, we get we get glimpses of who she of who she is um, throughout, but we do get her. But I also I also just hope that people understand that like this is still Donald Glover's show, and I think that you aren't going to get the show that you want if you just sit around and wish it was the Van show. I think best case scenario, you just hope that like things continue to go as well for the show as they do, and maybe you can do something with Van, or maybe maybe just maybe you watch another show like Insecure by Issa Rae that also just premiered um, this past weekend. And, you know, you can go and consume media from someone that, like, gets that perspective for some black women. Speaking of people um, who complain about be- being told they sound white. <laughs> hmm. Yes, Insecure, right. Insecure premiered this past Sunday. I've seen, I've seen the premiere. I know Shamira saw the premiere. Brittany, did you see the premiere of Insecure? No, not yet. But between the You Talk White and the... Man, when I was growing up, ain't no black people like anime. Why black people don't like anime? I'm like, well, you let that go. <laughs> let it go. You grown now. It's a whole oh. internet full of people out here. And I'm like, this doesn't... And I'm, I'm also like, yo, y'all aren't... When you talk about these things, it's not like black people. It's your friends. Your friends are terrible. That's it. Right. <laughs> I just... It's I'm just your having... terrible friends. I have increasingly less sympathy, and I'm trying to be, like, a much better, more mature, considerate person about this, for people who have these really insane holdovers for their middle school experiences and, like, project them well into adulthood, right? And it really tires me. So all the, like... And it happens (coughs) with, like, multiple people's experiences. Like, oh, the people said I talked white, or people made fun of me because I like to read, or, like, I was light-skinned and they called me a banana, or all that dumb shit. I'm always just, like, (laughs) get over it or go to therapy or whatever, but stop projecting into, like, the entire, like, black experience. And it was really painful for me to watch the first two episodes, the first two minutes of Insecure's pilot, because that's literally all it is. It's just her projecting all of these, like, quote-unquote, black people checks onto, like, the experience of, like, nine-year-olds. And it's like, are you serious? (laughs) Like, like, how many ways can you really ask 
Like, why do you sound like that? What's that natural hair shit? Like, what do you mean your hair is so short? Okay, why are you here? It's like, all right, fine. Um, I, you know, and yeah, but that's not even my biggest complaint about the show. My biggest complaint about the show really ultimately can be consolidated down to Awkward Black Girl from year 2011, and it was really interesting for its time in 2011, and now it's five years later, and we're basically just getting an extension of the web series, which is fine, but I really wish that there would have been more growth in five years, and since she had all that time to develop more content. But um, that's just me. I'm not the creator. She is free to do whatever she wants, and to be fair, has gotten, like, a consensus of love for it. I just feel like it's trite. I think I thought that the premiere had moments that were really rough and clearly felt like they were written in 2011 and may not have even been the funniest shit in 2011. But um, there were other moments that I thought were really good and really funny and showed a lot of promise. I just hope that, I mean, it seemed like it was ordered by uh, HBO looking at the success of Broad City. Like, you see Broad City, it's a successful successful web series, it's centered around women, and it's got this big following, this cult following on the internet, and we can, we can make that, we can make that for a different audience, and I just hope that they realize, yo, that shit is from, started five years ago, and some things need to be updated, I know Larry Wilmore is a part of it, and I mean Larry Larry Wilmore created two amazing shows, and the Bernie Mac show and um, the Nightly Show, R.I.P. Mm-hmm. And I like I I want to wait and see what else comes of it, but like the first the first episode has some really laughable moments. You made one great show. <laughs> you made one great show. You made one great show. I assume you're talking about the Bernie Mac show, right? Yes. I, I like the Nightly Show. I, like, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it, I thought that it we needed to exist We don't have enough world. time in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but real quick, real quick before we wrap up, I just want to touch on one thing that Shamir touched on earlier when we were talking about Luke Cage, and that is this entire idea of an unapologetically black show. Um, and I mentioned this on Twitter the other day, and someone retweeted me and was like, I don't understand what you mean. And the question that I posed was, is there an example of a show that is that has a lot of black people on it that isn't unapologetically black? And the, like the response that I got, that was a good response, was "Orange is the New Black." And I get, and it made me realize that I should have been more specific and said, "Is there any show that has a predominantly black cast and has black creators and black writers that isn't unapologetically black?" And my point was like. I feel like anytime a show such as an Atlanta or a Luke Cage or Insecure or any show that is created by a black person that's about black people comes out, like it comes out to effusive praise from black people and it's always like, it's this, it's that, and it's unapologetically black. And it's like, no shit. Like, what the fuck else are a whole bunch of black people going to come up with? Like, you're gonna get like if a, if it's a whole bunch of black people that are creating the show, you are going to get a show that is of of a black experience. Which black experience you get depends on the show creator, depends on the actors, and depends on like the the tone of the show, like what genre of show it is. Mm-hmm. But that like, I just feel like we need to we need to retire that like like it like I just think it's a, okay a weird preface 
you know, a weird prefix, rather, to put on a term, like, as if, because what it really means is that we're trying to put it on a pedestal, right? To be like, oh, it's this elevated right. content. But ultimately, when you do that with your content or with whatever items you put, you're inevitably disappointed. And you're disappointed because you invested all this time into something that you projected your own experience onto, right? Which is how you end mm-hmm. up hating Cam Newton or end up writing salty tweets about Barack Obama, right? Like, it's just, mm-hmm. is what it is. Like, it's like, yeah. there's, there's no reason to do that because we keep talking about how the black experience isn't monolithic because it isn't. There's a lot of ways to be black because hey you wake up a black skin guess what he's a nigga that's the it that's it right it's like so weird to me because it's like what does that qualify or mean right? i am in harlem right now <laughs> in front of our heroes <laughs> okay you are not gonna tell me that i wake up in this the blackest of lands established <laughs> Established by our heroes, and say that I wake up a nigga. <laughs> Not today. Not today. And like people I just have, yeah, people just have their own unique experiences. Like for Issa Rae, apparently it's still rapping really bad raps in front of a mirror, and we're supposed to pretend that shit is sexual. But Lord, Lord. But, like, you know, that's fine. It's fine people to project their experiences their own ways. I can like it. I can not like it. But I feel like this whole unapologetic mm-hmm. thing is supposed to create this really weird pressure for everybody to be on board and ultimately makes people project whatever they think is the Black experience, which everyone has their own idea of what yeah. that is, onto something that it can't possibly fit. Like, so it just becomes really stupid and self-defeating. Like, yeah, it's a black show. Congrats. Like, it's black because the content is black. That's it. Yeah. It also, to your point about, like, that that tag being placed on, quote-unquote, elevated content, it also, it, it's kind of respectability politics because it, yeah. it, 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 it's always like, you know, Atlanta is unapologetically black, juxtaposed to Tyler Perry. Like, you guys go see Tyler Perry. You guys go see Kevin Hart. Like, well... I mean, Tyler Perry is just as black as everything I mean, else. Listen, like, yeah. I'm not going to sit around and act like at my family's black-ass Thanksgivings, we didn't watch bootleg copies of Medea Goes to Jail, the actual play. Because, like, that is something the, that, you that gotta, is I got to admit, the plays, are, the plays to. are better than the, the movies or the TV shows. Because I yes. I'd love Facts. me to meet the Browns, especially that funeral scene. Facts. Facts. Listen, the I'm not judging. Are better than I'm pretty movie. sure Boo of Medea Halloween is pretty unapologetically black too. So like, <laughs> yeah, it all, is. It is. No, I mean, jokes aside, like I really, it is. Like it is. I'm sorry, it's a bunch of black people. Like, you know, might be ham-fisted and well, underpaid, but that's yeah. neither here nor there. Like it, you know, it just it becomes yeah. a silly. Well, sometimes, sometimes I think it's like it's those same people you were talking about, the people who are still carrying that that trauma from middle school who, when they say something, they get to claim what is, what counts as being unapologetically black. And what it really means is this is the black that I like. This is the kind of black and that I like And the black like that we see. should all be consuming, which, right. I mean, yeah, that's fine. Like, I don't know. You can consume whatever kind of black you want. Like, it can be high-minded mm-hmm. or whatever. It can be, like, the ebony section of Pornhub. Like, do whatever the <laughs> you want. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we gonna, I can't. we gonna bring it on home because we I have can't. all we have all just set our mentions on fire. Um, we have came full that, circle that to This all episode right. of the Flaming Hot Takes podcast, I want to thank our guests so so much. 
Um, Brittany, where can people find you on social media? Yes, they can find me at Brittany Acts, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-A-C-T-S on uh, Twitter and the Instagram or at BrittanyNWilliams.com. Okay. That's my website. Hit it up there. Hit her up. Put a whole government out. Uh, Shamira, where yep. can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, rambling about nonsense at iNomAllDay, um, or occasionally telling people how terrible Kobe Bryant is at VerySmartBrothers.com. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shamira be writing from time to time. Brittany be writing on Black yeah. Mirror Problems. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, because I don't really be writing as much as I used to, at CBenjaminRucker. Jordan is Jordan M. Calhoun. Um, and that does. You can email us at Flaming Hot Takes Podcast if y'all want to do that at gmail.com. We will see y'all in the next episode where hopefully we'll get Jordan's feelings once he completely finishes Luke Cage. Mm. Ooh, it might take another few months the way this is going right now. We're going to see how it goes. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to be real optimistic, y'all. Mm. All right, cool. Thanks, everybody. All right, have All a right. good one.